0: I Have to tell you guys, I'm excited this morning for several reasons, but one of which is that we're not talking about prophecy, and so we're gonna leave the Old Testament and journey back into the New Testament. So if you guys have your Bibles, I want you guys open them up to the Book of Acts, the Book of Acts, and um, it's gonna take us a while. I mean, just want to forewarn everybody. You know, there's 28 chapters in the Book of Acts, and so. You know, there's, there's a pretty strong possibility that this, this time next year we will still be in the book of Acts. <laughs> That's a pretty strong scenario, especially if we take a, a little bit of time away for Christmas and stuff here and there. You know? And you know what? Sometimes I think we can rush through things, and I think it's good for us to, to go at, through a book of the Bible at a, just a steady pace. Uh, there's no reason for us to rush through it. No. I'm really excited about this study because what we, what we see here, um, and, and if you look at, at your, your Bible, um, the, the, the title of the book, and sometimes it, it varies depending on the type of Bible you have, but typically it'll say the Acts of the Apostle. Some versions will say the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And uh, I think what could be a great title for this book would be the acts of the apostles through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and so what we're going to see is where we almost left off before we went to the Old Testament. We, we went through the, the gospel of John. And here we have this book, uh, the, the, the book of Acts is kind of a continuation of the gospels. And, and what we're going to see here is we're going to see really the birth of the church and how the church was birthed and how it responded and and how it grew and, and some of the foundation of the early church. And I think for us it works well because we are still a very young church. And we're still working on, on our foundation. And we're, we're working, we're taking steps of growth. And so I think for us this is an exciting, exciting time to, to begin to study the book of Acts. And so we're going to do that. So let's try and give a little bit of background. So the book of Acts, it's written by, by Luke. And, and what was interesting is if you went back into early, early church days, um, you had the gospel of Luke. But, but early, early church, they combined the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts together to, to form one book. And, and really what it is, is you kind of have this two-volume work that was written by, by Luke. And if you were to go back and you want to Luke chapter 1, the first four reasons, Luke gives his reason in which he wrote this This work, the work of Luke and the Book of Luke and the Book of Acts combined, it says, Inasmuch as as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who have who were there for just from those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers to the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. And so it was Luke's desire to, to write this work about all the things that he witnessed, all the things that he saw. And the gospel of Luke, we primarily see the birth, the life, the death, and resurrection of Jesus. But the story doesn't end with just the resurrection of Jesus, does it? It keeps going. And so here Luke continues in this this journey. And so when we go back to the book of of Acts, it picks up, and it's interesting, the very first verse says, in the first book, referring to Luke, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all the things that Jesus began to do and to teach. And so both the beginning, the first verse in both Luke and in Acts refers to this guy by the name of Theophilus. Now we don't know for... for, um, certain what or who Theophilus is. There, there's some, the, the actual word Theophilus means lover of God, and so there are some who will say that, that this is kind of Luke giving this kind of fictitious name to this audience. It's a, it's a, it's a letter that he's writing to a, a, a large group, those who, who love and serve and follow God, and there are some that believe that. Um, there's also this belief, that we, we know in Colossians 4, verse 14, that Luke was a physician, he was a doctor. And during these days, during the Bible times, um, what would happen is the, the doctors were actually slaves. They would be owned by somebody. And, and there are many who believe that Theophilus was the one who owned Luke. And, and upon his conversion, upon Theophilus' conversion, when he accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior, he um, released Luke to go about the ministry. And we're going to find out as we get into the book of Acts later on. Luke will partner up with Paul and be a great ally and asset to Paul. So, so we don't know exactly who the is. Maybe it was a, a group. Maybe it was this one individual um, that that he that he that had previously owned him. And now he's a a believer. And now Luke wants to give him this good, solid book uh, that he can, that Theophilus can, can, can draw on and learn from and, and see and understand what had happened. But, but here we go. So verse two, it says, until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit, to the apostles whom he had chosen, he, Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of god so this picks up right after the resurrection and jesus after he he after his death and his burial and his resurrection after the stuff that we celebrate on easter jesus would hang out for 40 days and he'd show himself to the the apostles to the disciples and and to um, loads of people. And, and many of us, are, we can remember the story of doubting Thomas. Remember as Jesus appears to some of these disciples and Thomas is like, there's no way. I'm not going to believe this until I see him with my own eyes and I touch his scars, until I can touch the, the nail prints in his hand and, and touch his side. And we read those stories, and, and Jesus did appear to him. And, and if you remember in that great room there, all the disciples are in that room, and, and Thomas is present, and Jesus walks through the wall and shows himself to Thomas. And, and he calls on Thomas to come and to touch his hands to touch his side. And not necessarily in a scolding manner, but, but Jesus says to, to Thomas, you, you didn't believe until you touched me, but how amazing it will be for those who will come to believe that we'll never see and we'll never touch. And so here we have this, this time, this 40 days where Jesus is walking the face of the earth. And this isn't a mystical Jesus. Okay? This isn't some spirit thing that he just kind of is here and there. This is Jesus in body, as, as much of a body, as much of a presence of man as he was prior to his death, as much of a, a man as he was in that manger that Christmas morning. This is Jesus, a fleshly like man Jesus that's walking in the face of this earth for 40 days and he spends time with, with these disciples. Could you imagine what it would have been like to sit with Jesus after all of that? We don't necessarily have a lot of information. Um, we see some of it here today, but but what's amazing to me is that you see the end of verse three. As it mentions there that he showed himself, he presented the proofs, he's letting people touch him. He's, he's sitting there, he's eating with them. Um, so they see him eat, they see him swallow the food, drink his drinks, all that kind of stuff. And he appears them for 40 days. And notice what it says there that he speaks about. He's speaking about the kingdom of God. Listen, um, parents, take your Bible real quickly and turn back to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter six. So Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. This wasn't necessarily planned, but um, I was looking at some stuff that was coming off the printer earlier this morning for the kids downstairs. And parents, I, I hope if you have children downstairs that, that you ask them questions and, 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 and see what they're learning, what they're talking about. And one of the things that they're, they're trying to really work on is memory verses, trying to teach the children to memorize scripture. And this this week's memory verse is Matthew 6, verse 33. Okay, so Matthew 6, verse 33. And, and for many of us, this is a familiar verse. It says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What things? Well, if you, if you go back up a few verses before that, they're all anxious. And it says, verse 31 says, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And so Jesus is saying, there, listen, like you guys are concerned about these things. You're chasing after what you want to eat, what you want to drink, what you want to wear, what you want to do, all these things. And Jesus says, listen, heavenly Father is aware of it. Like God knows that you have needs. He's not so far removed that, that he doesn't understand what's going on in your life. He knows these things. And so what Jesus says is, but, but rather than worry about those things, rather than worrying about what you're going to eat for dinner tonight, rather than worrying about what clothes you'll wear tomorrow to work or to school, focus on the kingdom of God. And when we do that, as we focus, as we pour our time, our, our energy, our attention towards the kingdom of God, what Jesus says is, listen, as you do those things, then God provides. He provides your needs. And what's amazing in this, that scenario is not only does God provide our needs, but as our desires begin to align with him, then we see God beginning to not just give us our needs, but also our desires. As, as we focus on the kingdom of God, it begins to take away this, this inner battle between ourselves this desire to do, to be and, and, and live a good godly life, and yet this other desire to, to walk in the way of the world. But as we turn our attention to heaven, things begin to align themselves. And I, I just found that interesting as I was reading it this week, that, that as Jesus Back in Acts, as he's there, as he's, as he's walking with the people, as he's talking with the people, as he's hanging out, as he's, as he's giving them examples and proof that he's alive and everything is good and that he's this risen Savior, the one thing that he focuses in on is the kingdom of God. Verse 4 says, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. But to wait for the promise of the Father, which He said, "You heard from me." Verse five: For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. I don't know what your um, your background in church may be. An area I think that can be somewhat not kind of said controversial, but can create some. Um, disagreements, especially within denominations and faiths, is the view of the Holy Spirit. Some um, have no problem talking about God the Father and definitely don't have a problem talking about Jesus the Son, but when we get to the Holy Spirit, um, it creates this little sense of unease. Um, there are some faith groups that, that will fully embrace the Holy Spirit to the point where um, it becomes this emotional high that they're chasing. Um, it's interesting, as Jesus discussed the Holy Spirit, he, he discussed three different types of relationship that we hopefully will have with the Holy Spirit. Um, the first one, if you go back, and you can just, I'm just going to give you a reference here, John 14, 7, that we see that, that the Holy Spirit is with us. He's with us when we are convicted of our need to be born again. Okay, so the first relationship that we see of the Holy Spirit that Jesus described, John 14, 17, is that the Holy Spirit's with us as we begin to feel conviction to accept Jesus as our Savior and to seek forgiveness of our sins. So he's he's with us. Um, We also see in John 20, verse 22, that Jesus is in us the moment that we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. Okay, so he's with us. He's in us. But then over here in Acts 1-5 that we see that, that the Holy Spirit comes upon us and he empowers us. Okay, so these, those are three different relationships that Jesus himself talks about in reference to the Holy Spirit. He's, he's with us, he's in us, and he comes upon us. And that's going to be very important as we look at, this, at the apostles as they, as they go through this journey of starting the church. And as we see the... Um, the church formation. But here he uses this idea of baptizing, Holy Spirit baptizing us. Verse six says, and so when they had come together, they had asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? So again, we've spent the last several months looking at the Old Testament, right? Habakkuk, Jonah, Daniel. If we go back, if we he, if he can jump back to when we were in the Gospel of John, r- remember that there was this great disappointment when Jesus began to talk about his, his coming death. To the point, remember when he said to Peter that, in that he was telling the disciples, hey, listen guys, like, my time is near, my, my time is about up. And, and Peter got so upset at him. You guys remember that? I mean, so upset where he, he said, it's not going to happen. Not on my watch. Like, they have to go through me first. And Jesus turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. That's a tough statement, isn't it? And the reason Jesus was so forthright with Peter was Peter, along with the rest of the disciples, had this, this image in their mind of, of this kingdom that God kept, or Jesus kept talking about. But, but in, their, in their thinking, they believed it was going to be here on earth. Like, like they thought Jesus was going to march into Jerusalem. Hey, he's going to take over. He's going to kick all the Romans out, and and he's going to become the king. And and these guys are all getting their their positions set, their their place at the table. And so Peter and all the disciples think that they're in line for this political position. And so not only is Jesus, he's he's back, he's, he's conquered death, he's back living, he's hanging out with the guys for 40 days, and the disciples go right back to that same question. So is it time now to set this kingdom up? Are we ready to get this thing going? I mean, let's, um, we're ready. Let's go. Let's, I mean, you already conquered death, so let's get a kingdom up and running. And Jesus responds, verse 7, he says to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. I would, I would encourage you guys uh, maybe to underline those first few words of that statement that he says it 's not for you to know um, I, I express to you as we 're going through prophecy that it can be difficult for me one i mean it 's i 'm not that smart. To be honest there 's a lot of this figurative stuff that i don 't fully understand, and then, as I read. Some of this stuff, as I as I begin to look at the world around us, I I, I get bothered, and then you start having these um, emotional inner battles where you're thinking, okay, is it all about to come to an end, or whatever? And is Jesus about to come back, and all these kind of things? And 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 this passage this week, as I read it, it reminded me to that, listen. That God's in control, and we have no idea when He's going to come back. We can look at certain things. There are certain indications. But at the end of the day, God is in control. And he chooses when he wants to come back. So it's my opinion, for what it's worth. There's no reason to chase dates. There's no reason to try and pinpoint the exact time and history in which he will come back. God's God, I'm not. step away from even prophecy. There's things in life, there's challenges, there's disappointments, there's struggles that we all go through, right? And, And sometimes we understand why we're going through it, but oftentimes it just kind of appears out of the blue. We struggle with that. We don't understand why. And if you're like me, there are times that you can kind of retreat and you start throwing a little... Temper tantrum, a pity party, a woe is me. I think here Jesus is reminding us that listen, we don't have to know all the answers. We we don't need to know all the reasons. That's why faith becomes so important. Would it really be faith if we had all the answers and we knew everything that was about to happen? everything that did happen and everything that will happen. No. I think it's God reminding us that he's sovereign and he's in control. As much as I say I wish I could tell the future, the reality is this. If I knew the future, it would probably freak me out. You know? I mean, if, if, I, if I could look in the future and say, okay, I know this is how I'm going to die. This is when I'm going to die. This is when I'm going to die from. I don't think I want to know those answers. I don't think I'd want to know the future of my children. I don't think I want to know the future of all these things. I think it's God's sovereignty protecting us to live in the trust in him. And so we get back to our Holy Spirit. Verse 8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the end of the earth. This passage, that verse there, Acts 1-8, again, I would encourage you to underline that. that. That is the continuation of the Great Commission that we studied the first four weeks of Redemption Hill Church. It's the continuation. Jesus is saying, all right, earlier we, we learned it. He said, listen, guys, don't leave. Don't, don't, I don't want you to go anywhere right now. I want you to go back to Jerusalem. Go back to Jerusalem. You wait there. And soon, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and he's going to empower you. And this is why the Holy Spirit comes. He's going to come to empower you to go. It's, it's, it's funny. I was reading a commentary about the, the power of the Holy Spirit, and the commentator said that um, he was using the example of a locomotive, a train. And he, he said, listen, the, the steam is not used just for the sole purpose to provide power to make the whistle blow. The steam is provided to give power to the engine to make the train move. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. Like the Holy Spirit wasn't just given to us to provide us these um, Holy Ghost goosebumps, these times where we can get this like emotional high where we can just get all filled with the Holy Spirit and just feel really good, and the next morning we wake up empty. No, the Holy Spirit was, was to come into us, to, to, to come upon us, and to give us the power to move, to go, to fulfill the Great Commission, to fulfill Acts 1.8. And so once it does, once it comes upon those disciples, he's saying, listen, from there, you guys are going to go, you're going to go into all Jerusalem. And then after Jerusalem, you're going to go to Judea and Samaria, this this spot just outside Jerusalem. And then after that, you're going to go to the ends of the world, the ends of the earth. That's what's going to happen. It also just happens to be a breakdown of this book of Acts that we see that the apostles... Acts 1 through 7 are in Jerusalem. After that, verse um, chapters 8 through 12, you see them move from Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria. And then finally, Acts 13 through 28, you see them going to the ends of the earth. You see them moving. This power of the Holy Spirit. It's one of those things that wasn't fully present when we read the Gospels. As we were reading the gospel of John, remember we continually saw these disciples fall, Right? I mean, remember, even after Jesus is arrested, remember Peter? I mean, as soon as they're in the Garden of Gethsemane, as soon as they're, he's arrested, they all flee, they all run. I mean, one of the disciples is, is so scared that his, his garment gets caught on something and it gets pulled off and he's running naked. And Peter, he's, he, he runs, he, but, and he kind of follows to see what's going on. But even in that, we see this, this time in which he denies Christ three times. And so all of the Gospels, we continually see these disciples fall, don't we? And they're, they're everything but strong. They, they appear to be very frail. In which, and and you're, you're thinking as you're reading about these disciples, you're like, why in the world would God, would Jesus choose these 12 men? They're always running. They're always fleeing. They're always failing. They're always questioning. Why? Why? But as we'll see in another week or two, as the Holy Spirit comes upon them, there's this dramatic change, a dramatic change. Um, today in, in church life, I think that um, there are a lot of churches um, that are, are chasing cultural relevance. Um, they, they think that we have to be so relevant with the world in which that we live. I, I, I think that there's a balance in that. We need to understand to a certain degree what's going on in the world that we live in. But I'll be upfront and honest with you. If, if our marketing strategy is to try and find cultural relevance, then we're just creating some form of country club or social gathering. Um, we, we understand, right, that during this time, um, I'm pretty sure as the disciples left this and gathered together, it wasn't a marketing conversation. Saying, all right, guys, so how do we market this? How do we market this guy who, who died but then came back to life? How do we market that? I don't think that's what it was. Um, just like as we're going to see throughout this, this book that it was the Holy Spirit that gave these individual people power. They would go and Peter in another chapter or two will go, chapter three, he will go and he will preach and you'll see 3,000 people come to know Jesus. It wasn't because there was this big crowd of people going out, handing out flyers saying, come listen to Peter preach. It was the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit that this tremendous work in an individual and that individual through the power of the Holy Spirit went and shared his faith. Folks, if we're going to look at a marketing strategy for Redemption Hill Church, it's going to be that I pray that the Holy Spirit empowers all of us. That The Holy Spirit isn't just with us, just isn't just in us, but he comes upon us and he empowers us That he gives us the strength to go and to share what Jesus is doing in our lives. I believe it's that that, um, excitement that will build this faith family. I think it's what God has already used as our formula to build our faith family. I want to finish this up, and then we're going to just share a few take-home points. And so after Jesus delivers this great commission, if you will, verse 9 says, And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taking up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And so after Jesus, after Jesus declares to these guys, listen, the Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to empower you. And then you're going to be able to go to, to Jerusalem and to Judea, Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And as he finishes saying that, this, this cloud catches him up and Jesus ascends into heaven. And again, folks, remember, this is Jesus in his earthly body. Jesus doesn't lose that shell. When Jesus returns, he's in that same earthly body. As Jesus right now is sitting at the right hand of God, he is in that same earthly body. Jesus is ascending to heaven, and the disciples obviously are all looking up, as we all probably would be. And these two Guys show up in white robes. Two, they could be angels. Some commentators say it was Moses and Elijah, just like we saw at the, at the uh, Transfiguration. I don't know who it is. All I know is they turn to the disciples and they say, "Guys, why are you looking up? Go." I- I've experienced in my own life times where I felt God calling. I've, I've, I've felt God leading me in some way to do something. Maybe there's been a time in my life where there's this um, great wall of sin that had been built up. Uh, there have been times in my life where um, the foundation of my marriage has not been very strong. There have been, been times um, as a father Many many times that I have failed, countless times as a pastor. Okay, there's, there's. I've I've often tell people, listen, I'm the biggest train wreck in the room. And you know, as you go to God um, and and as you maybe seek Him in prayer, as you as you read His Word and, and He reveals something to you. Sometimes, again, if you're like me, you see something, you feel the Spirit moving, but you offer another excuse. You say, well, I need a sign. I need a sign. I'm not sure if God wants me to do this or not, but I need another sign. Or, or we become really good at offering up excuses for not going and doing what God's led us to do, right? I think the same thing is happening here. Like, like so often we, we just look up and you're like, all right, Jesus. All right, Jesus. When he's given us direction. He's given us a calling. He's he's shown you and me what he wants us to do. But instead, we just look up waiting for our Holy Ghost goosebump moment. We look up waiting for the plane with the smoke in the sky that's going to write out exactly what to do when God's already directed us. Folks, um, what I want us to see as we go through this book of Acts is I want us to grab a sense of urgency, that we don't just wait, that we're not like these disciples on the side of a mountain looking up, waiting, but instead we go and we do because Jesus has given us the same commandment. He's given us the same commandment to go to Jerusalem, to go to Judea and Samaria, and to go to the ends of the earth. In fact, to me, I believe that we'll stand before God one day and be held more accountable to him than the guys in the Bible. I mean, it's much easier in the day and age that we live in to go to these places, isn't it? In the day and age with all of the technology that we have to do these things, but yet I think that we live in a time that we're even better at creating excuses on why not to do these things or, or how to put off God. So here's what I want us to do. I'm going to pull a few points up and then we're going to pray and go home. The very first verse, as Luke is describing or, or, or offering why he wrote the book, he says this about Jesus. He says, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. If you will, underline to do and to teach, I think that's a pretty great formula. Something that Jesus Himself in His ministry did. You, we've heard the phrase "actions speak louder than words," right? Um, I don't know if you parents maybe have ever said to your kids, "Don't do as I do; do as I say," right? Sometimes that's the way we are as Christians. Um, Sometimes we get really good at getting on a soapbox and shouting about all the evils and all the bad things, but our own lives are a mess. I'm guilty, folks. In in fact, sometimes those are those times that you you get on those soapboxes and all it is is a way of deflecting all the attention off of, your own mishaps. Listen, Jesus sets this this method in place. He says, listen, do first and then teach. Do and teach. Do and teach. Moms and dads, I'll tell you this. You do first and then you teach your kids. Don't just try and say something to them hoping that they get it. Otherwise, all we're doing is teaching our kids to be hypocrites. Do. I mean, if you, moms and dads, if you want your children to know and to love God, if you want your children to grow up to to know and read God's word, then you ought to be reading it yourself. Do and teach. If we want to have the same power that these apostles will have, if we want to see the world turn upside down like they did, then I believe that we have to do like they did before we start teaching the way they did. I've I've shared with you guys some um, in some vision type settings a desire for us to um, to try and formulate what our mission footprint looks like. I think that we've done a good job at um, ironing out what worship looks like. We're far from perfect. We have hiccups. But I think as a whole, we, we understand what Sunday morning worship looks like. We understand what, what Wednesday night Bible study looks like. And those are good things. Those are important things. are critical things. But that's not the only thing that should construct a church. In in fact, I think as we read the book of Acts, even here in this first chapter, we see that a Christian church ought to be a missional church. It ought to be going and doing and serving. And so um, I've been praying, but what does that look like? We have a a youth leadership team um, we call The Crew. There's four of our teenagers um, high school teenagers, and I, I met with them at the beginning of the summer, and I said, to "The guys, listen, as a youth group, as a church, like, I want us to figure out what does missions look like for our church? How do we do this? I don't want us to just say things, but we need to have, we need to have actions that back up what we're saying. If, if we're saying that we need to love our community, then we need to be able to demonstrate that we're loving our community. If we say that we need to, to, to share the gospel around the world, then we need to be doing things beyond just me standing up here and saying something. We need to do like Jesus said at the very beginning. We need to do and teach. And so what does it look like? And so um, it sounds kind of crazy to say this, but I'm going to start talking about Christmas. Um, we're going to do this thing. We're going to call it our, our Acts 1-8 Christmas project. Okay, so Acts 1-8 tells us that we're supposed to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and in most parts of the earth, right? So local, a little bit further, international. What, what, so I'm saying this now because we're going to start our Christmas project beginning next week, and we're going to carry it through the Christmas season. All right? Um, so the first thing, we're, we're going to adopt, if you will, three, three ministries, um, three things that I believe that God can use as we begin to, to take some footprints in the realm of missions. The, the first one is this Operation Christmas Child, I think it is right. Yeah, um, some of you guys are probably familiar with it. It's a, it's not a, a new organization. Franklin Graham through Samaritan's Purse does this, and and what it is is they they you fill a shoebox with uh, different things. Um, you can go on, you can Google it, and there's all sorts of videos. Well, over the next few weeks and months, we'll show you some some videos. I watched this one video last week or earlier this week about this this guy that um, got pencils and toothpaste. Like stuff that I would have groaned about as a kid. And he talked about how amazing it was that he actually got toothpaste that had multiple colors and tasted good. And he said he got a box of pencils. For him, he was given, I think it was like one pencil a school year. And then he got so excited because he thought he might be able to save enough for college. I mean, that's crazy, isn't it? Um, And what they do is is they have these these shoe boxes. They go all around the world to these children. Most of them are orphans. And they give these little box of trinkets to these kids. And it's an opportunity for them to be able to open up and share the gospel with them. If I understand it right from there, they put these kids through like a 12-session discipleship type program. And so, um, so what we're going to do is over the next several weeks, I think the collection day is like the middle of November. I'm going to send out an email this week with the different types of things that we can use to fill up these boxes, um, but we're going to begin to collect these things, give you an opportunity. So, so we understand that we understand budgets. I understand things can get, can get pricey, but we want you to give you some time. So maybe, maybe in the middle of holiday season, which we typically throw these things out at you, like in November right around Black Friday when we're getting ready to go out and buy all the stuff for our kids and all that kind of stuff, when budgets, budgets are already tight. We want you guys to think about this stuff now, begin to, to, to plan and prepare and even start giving maybe in small dosages. So we'll give you an, a, a, a list of the different things that we can do, but we're going to have these spots that we can drop this stuff off. We're going to collect it. Um, and then that, I think it's like the second Wednesday in November um, during our normal Wednesday night, Bible study. We're going to take the time to pack those bags, those boxes together as a faith family. Uh, It's going to be a great opportunity for us to teach this to our kids, the little kids downstairs, um, the youth, even us as parents. Um, And so what it is, is this. So the next, from now until the beginning of November, you'll have an opportunity to start donating these little things Um, and then um, we'll pack those things together. Each box that we send off, it, the shipping cost is about $7. So along the way, uh, maybe you just want to give a little bit of money to go towards the shipping of these things. Um, I don't know how many boxes we'll be able to pack in a few months. I hope. What we'll do is that, hopefully that last Sunday before we have to send them off somewhere, hopefully we can stack them on, on the stage or something like that. But I, I, mean, I, I think it would be awesome if we stacked it so high you couldn't even see me. That would be awesome, wouldn't it? Uh, to send these things to these little kids that, just, that, that are in a very tough situation. That's, to a certain extent, that's kind of our Judea, our, our Samaria. Um, some of these could be sent down to, to South America, to Latin America. Some of it could be even in the United States in some destitute areas. It could be in Africa. It could be all over the world. So that's our first product that we're going to work towards, um, Christmas, the uh, Christmas shoebox deal. The next thing, this is, this is our Jerusalem. This is our, our backyard, our, our hometown. The youth, at, the crew team that I told you about, we went to um, a, women's preg- preg- a women's pregnancy center. It's a crisis pregnancy center, basically on the campus at Florida State. And um, it's amazing to me. It was, it was um, I don't think you could ask for a better location uh, the, the girl that kind of took us on the tour talked about all these different college-age students that would come in, uh, people from very low income that, that, that can't afford the different medical care that would come in just to have the test to figure out if they're pregnant or not. Um, I, I, my mom worked for a crisis pregnancy center up in, in Michigan for 15, 17 years, and so uh, this is one of those ministries that's, that's always kind of been near and dear to my heart, but, but I'll tell you this. Over the last several weeks, as we've seen these videos come out with Planned Parenthood, um, I think it's um, maybe offered uh, a renewed interest, um, a, a renewed desire to try and help make a difference. Um, and so what we're going to do, and similar to the shoebox deal, is, is over the next several weeks and months leading up to sometime probably between Thanksgiving and Christmas, we're going to collect diapers and wipes. Um, and we may add a few other things. I'm waiting for them to email some other lists. But, but again, sometime probably between um, Thanksgiving and, and Christmas, we're going to hold a shower for that Crisis Pregnancy Center. And, um, and we're going to give these gifts to them. It would be an opportunity for us as a faith family to, to, um, to love uh, a group within our community. Um, it's a very, I don't know if you've ever been there. It's a very small facility, so I don't know if we'll all be able to go there. We may need to have them come here. But again, like I, I would think it would be amazing if we were able to take 100 boxes of diapers and 100 boxes of wipes and whatever else to this center where, where young girls are coming in and making a decision. Um, I, as we talked about this a few weeks ago, I want to be sensitive enough to know that um, that abortion is a difficult situation. And I don't know if there are any in this room even that have had or potentially will have. They, they say in the United States today that one in three women either have had or will have. It's a pretty high statistic. It's one of those things that I think scars and damages not for days not for weeks not for months but for years and for often oftentimes there's there's those times of regret and so lovingly we want to help make life change we want to help even if it's by giving a diaper and some wipes to some young girl that might just be enough for somebody to see the love of Jesus Christ, uh, to see a God's love in a way that will transform their life forever, for eternity, and not just impact them, but impact their family. And so this is our, our Jerusalem project. Okay, this, is our, this is what we're going we're to work in our own community. This is hopefully going to be a springboard into something even greater with this organization and other organizations in our, our own community time. And then the, the final one is the one that we did last year. This is our Ends of the Earth, um, the Timothy Initiative. If you guys remember this beginning of the summer, David Nelms came and spoke here, and he shared with us a um, great excitement for our church. In fact, he, he texted me like two weeks ago to check in, and he's just so excited for us as a, as a church. Um, last year, in a very short time in Christmas, we we were able to raise $1,200. And that $1,200 was used, and and during that time, they were able to, they had this matching program going on. So they were able to match dollar for dollar. And so our $1,200 really turned into $2,400. And for every $300, they are able to plant a church. Ours last year, if you remember, we specifically focused in on Nepal. Think about that. You guys remember all those earthquakes and things that happened in Nepal? Shortly after that, think, think of, of the life change that our gifts last Christmas are making today. E- the eternal difference. And so we're going to, again, to partner with this group and we're going to raise some funds. We're going to pull out those change buckets and, and you'll have opportunity to put some money in there. Um, the same thing holds true today. For every $300, they're, they're able to plant a church And so my hope is, again, I'm not putting a figure to to any of these things. We raised $1,200 last year in about a month and a half. My hope is that we can do better. It's us going and doing, folks. It's us doing and then teaching. It's us beginning to figure out a missional imprint, imprint, footprint. It's us with children using the next few weeks, the few next few months, sharing with them what Christmas is all about. That it's not just about whatever new toys out there. It's not about dolls. It's not about all the, the, the Christmas presents under a Christmas tree. It's about a Savior who sent His only Son to die on the cross for our sins. And that same Savior, before He ascended into heaven, before he left this earth until he returns one day, said to those disciples, those ones, those guys who would go and, and build the church through the Holy Spirit's power. And he said, Listen, guys, go. Go, go, go. Go to Jerusalem, go in your backyards, and go in your communities, your hometown. Go there. Spread the word there. And then from there, go outside the city limits. And then go way beyond. Go to the ends of the earth. And so I, as a faith family, I want us this year to look at Christmas differently. That's why we're talking about it the last Sunday in August. That's why we're going to begin to collect things the first week in September over Christmas. That's why I want us to prayerfully consider what God may be leading you to do. And if God leads you, don't just stand looking up like the disciples did, but go and do. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. day. I thank you for all the things you've done for us. God, I thank you for this book of Acts that we're um, about to begin to study. Um, Lord, I, I thank you for this beginning this passage where you challenge the disciples that after they receive this empowering of the Holy Spirit to go, to quit looking up, but to go. Lord, I pray as we, as a faith family, begin to adopt these these Christmas projects, as we view Christmas this year through the lens of Acts eight, Lord, I pray that we, that you right now be with those children that will receive those shoeboxes. God, that you right now begin to work in their hearts, that you soften them, that you prepare them, that as these gifts come, that the ultimate gift is not the shoebox, but the Savior, you. Lord, I pray for this crisis pregnancy center here in Tallahassee in our own backyard located on a college campus or near a college campus where we have seen littered on the news these videos that, that are almost too difficult to watch. And Lord, I, I pray that you just, you give us an opportunity to show your love, that these diapers and and wipes and whatever other items we may collect, that again, these are just gifts that draw attention towards you. And the Timothy Initiative, Lord, a, a group that we've partnered with and that we've supported now for almost a year, Lord, a group that's out planting churches in little communities, in big communities, in homes, under trees, on the sides of rivers, and some in summit buildings. A place that, a group that goes and, and, and focuses in on your word and your love and then takes it and do just as you said in Acts 1-1. They go, they do, and they teach. So Lord, I pray that you be with us now. I pray that you be with us in this time of invitation. But I don't know how or if anything here is connected. Lord, I, I don't... not concerned about my stories or my eloquence, Lord, but I just want your word to connect. And so if it's not here, Lord, may it connect this week. May it burn within us. May we feel the Holy Spirit come upon us. May you empower us to go, to go to our classmates, our schoolmates, to go to our coworkers, to go to our family, to go to our friends. Or use us empower us. May our marketing strategy always be built around the Holy Spirit with us, in us, and upon us. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.